Well, good morning, Sherwood family. What a joy it is to uh, join with you this morning as we worship the Lord and then as we open the Word of God over the next few moments, study it, and then encourage one another in the application of what we are learning today. I'm so grateful. I'm so humbled, as I said last week, by this privilege that Brother Michael has given me, and I know that you've been praying for Michael and for Terry this week, and you might want to draw from the line and just tell them how much you love them and how much you are praying for them. At any rate, it is always a thrill to be with this, the wonderful Sherwood family. So God bless you and thank you for allowing me into your heart and uh, into your home today. I'm going to ask you to open your Bible once again to Paul's letter to the believers in Philippi, the book of Philippians in the New Testament, and turn with me to chapter 4 as we continue a study in the Word of God, a study that we began last week under the theme, Steady in Your Storm. Uh, so many people are going through storms right now, and uh, I am amazed at the resilience which God is giving to believers in Christ as they face the things which are such challenges to them. Some of you are in physical storms. I mean, literally, uh, physically, you're wrestling with issues that are very concerning to you. Others of you may find yourself in a financial storm. Uh, someone said uh, their biggest storm was a storm in their family and they were dealing with an issue that was bringing them great grief, great, great struggle as a matter of fact. How do we respond in such a way that we see God at work in our family? I don't know what the arena is where you find yourself in a storm right now. Maybe you're one of those people who just came out of one, or there's another one just on the horizon and you're enjoying a respite right now. Well, this is a good time to learn how to be steady in the storms of life. Now, the Apostle Paul, of course, is writing to these believers whom he loves so dearly. Uh, the very first church, as a matter of fact, on European soil. And that's where the Apostle Paul landed after leaving Troas and coming to Philippi and finding uh, Lydia and the others there beside the river and opening the word of God to them. Thus begun the church there in the city of Philippi. It wasn't very long before the Philippian jailer and his family were a part of that group of people. And that's the way the work of God began to spread throughout Europe. As I said last week, over two-thirds of the Mediterranean world touched with the gospel in somewhere between 10 and 15 years. And so this is, a, this is a critical book for us to study. It is written by Paul from prison. He is in Roman imprisonment. It's not long, not many years, before Paul himself passes away and dies as a, as a prisoner. And so with your Bible open to Philippians chapter 4, let's look at the second principle. Last week, we said if you find yourself in the storm, the first thing you need to do is rejoice. What did Paul say in verse 4? Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. And we saw last week that that is a way that we establish the truth that we know God is running the show. God 
is in charge. We can see beyond the storm and see the Lord on the other side of it and know that he is working all things together for our good. And we can rejoice from our position in the Lord. We are in him. He is in us. And so we know he is at work in this storm. Now, today, I want you to think with me about this word. It is the word reflect. And when I use that word this morning, I'm not referring to a reflection as you would see in a mirror. In other words, a reflection of an image. I'm thinking about the process of thinking itself, reflecting on something, asking very careful and serious questions, important questions about the issues that face us. I'll have to tell you that as a, uh, as a pastor, most of the people who sat in my office and poured out their heart about what they were going through, uh, most people would say that part of the problem they were facing was caused by acting without thinking. Oh, if I had just thought of the consequences, I wouldn't have done that. If I had just thought of how that person was going to feel, I wouldn't have said that. And so it is important for us to reflect. In this storm, ask critical questions. Ask important questions. Deep thinking is a part of reflecting. And that's what the Apostle Paul is encouraging us to do with verse 5. And I want you to see it because if you're not careful, you will miss it. What does he say in verse 5, Philippians chapter 4? Let your gentle spirit be known unto all men. The Lord is near. Literally, the Lord is at hand. He's in the room. Let your gentle spirit be known unto all men. And if we took the time this morning to very carefully uh, study the words that are used here, we would see that this phrase, gentle spirit, could perhaps be more accurately translated. Let your, your sweet disposition, your careful disposition, your sweet reasonableness, one uh, author says, and I think that's a good interpretation. Let, let others see that, that you are reasonable, uh, that you're not in a hurry, you're not brushing them aside, you're not ignoring them, and you're not doing or saying something that is thoughtless. Let your sweet reasonableness be known unto all men. Now, reflecting, deep thinking, requires asking some important questions. And this morning, we're going to ask three questions, and I, I'd encourage you to either use the margin of your Bible or take the notes that you have there in your hand, and we're going to ask, first of all, what is my assignment in this storm? What role do I play? What is my assignment? The second question we ask is this, where is my audience? Uh, who cares anyway? How does this impact anybody else? Who is the audience? Where is that audience? And the third question is this, do I have an ally? Who is my ally? Is there someone who will come alongside me in this storm and whose presence will make a difference in the outcome? 
And so let's ask each of those questions and see what the scripture says as we allow the word of God just to open very simply before us like a flower and we see it a petal at a time. So the first question is this, in my storm, whether it's a family storm or a physical storm or a financial storm or a storm involving where you work or your future, whatever that storm, in my storm, what is my assignment? Just write those words out. What is my assignment? What is God asking of me? Here the Apostle Paul says this, let your gentle spirit be known. Now, I, I can almost hear some of you laughing and saying, well, I'm not really known for my gentle spirit. I'm pretty brusque. I'm pretty abrupt. I'm pretty immediate uh, with my responses. And here it says, let your gentle spirit as if I had a gentle spirit. Well, I'd like for you to see two things about that statement. Let your gentle spirit be known. First of all, I, I, I want you to understand a reality. And here is the reality. Jesus Christ, if you are truly born again, if you're a child of God, if you should die, you would immediately enter heaven. If you can say that with all certainty, then Christ lives inside you. He does this through the person and by the work of the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. Jesus said in John's gospel, chapter 14, he said, now, in essence, I can't be everywhere physically while I'm here on this earth. So I'm going out of a, the physical presence of a few of you so that I might enter the spiritual, enter you spiritually, all of you. I can't be everywhere physically, but spiritually by the Holy Spirit, I can do that. He said, I'm going to send you another comforter. And this he said, he said, he's with you, but he shall be in you. And when you receive Christ by faith as your Savior, repenting of your sins, believing in him unto salvation, the Holy Spirit of God himself, the Bible tells us, comes to dwell within us. It is Christ in us who is the hope of glory. He is in us just as we are in him as we uh, studied last week. So that's an important thing for us to understand. He lives in you. Jesus, of course, was a person of sweet reasonableness. He didn't brush people aside in a cruel fashion. They, they, they thronged to him in his earthly ministry because they understood that he wanted to understand them. That was his heart's desire, his deep desire. And so it is important for you to understand Christ lives in you through the person and by the work of the Holy Spirit. Now, having understood that reality, it's important also for you and I to undertake a responsibility. What is that responsibility? Our responsibility is to live in what we sometimes call the fullness of the Holy Spirit. What that means quite simply is for us to live in total surrender to all that the Lord wants in our life. Complete 
surrender, submission to the Lord Jesus, honoring him as our Lord and the, the master of our lives. The Bible says that when we do this, when we allow every part of our life to be controlled by the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit reproduces the life of Christ within us. Now, I want you to listen to what is called the fruit of the Spirit. If you turned back to Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, you would read about the fruit of the Spirit. It, it's just Jesus. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, why, you could just take these words and put them over into Philippians chapter 4, verse 5, where he says, let your sweet reasonableness, let your gentle spirit be known. That's our responsibility. I am, as you know, those of you who are at Sherwood, of course, know that I'm, I'm big on the fact that all of us should have mentors in life. And over the years, God has blessed me with a number of wonderful, wonderful men uh, who were mentors to me. Uh, I remember some years ago, actually back in 1983, first meeting a man who became one of my life's strongest mentors. His name was Robert G. Witte. And he was just a humble, sweet-spirited man. Uh, I never heard him speak with bitterness or with rancor. I met him at a church I had gone to pastor, Applewood Baptist Church in Denver, Colorado. He had been an interim at that church, and he came back to visit, and we met. Well, I was so impressed with this man. What, what a wonderful spirit. How, what a gracious attitude. I was out literally drawn to him. Now, he wasn't a pansy. He wasn't a pushover. He's the founder, by the way, of Luther Rice Seminary. He's a man who holds four degrees from major theological institutions. He's a, he's a was a prolific author. He passed away at the age of 100 years and seven months and was teaching a Sunday school class two weeks before he passed away. So this, this, this man was incredible, having trained thousands of pastors and missionaries who serve all over the world, and yet such a humble, gracious, reasonable, sweet-spirited man. Uh, one of the things that attracted me to Dr. Witte was the fact that he, uh, he loved to ask questions. He told me one time, he said, you know, I counted up the questions that, that Jesus asked, and he, he actually, some people say as many as 307 questions. Uh, I don't think there were that many different questions. Some of them are recorded more than once. And, and Jesus was asked 183 questions, and he only answered three of those, but he asked a lot of questions. And has it ever occurred to you, said Dr. Witte to me one day, that Jesus never asked a question because he needed to know anything? No, he asked questions because he felt you needed to know something. And Dr. Witte was the master at asking questions. In the last years of his life, we would invite him to come here to Oklahoma City, stay in our home for several weeks at a time. I would unleash him on our staff, and he would go from office to office asking people questions. But while he was here in our home, that's what he did. We'd sit, he would ask questions. We'd be at a meal, he would be asking questions. 
I remember one time standing on a ladder putting decorations on a Christmas tree and he was standing at the foot of the ladder asking me questions. And in the answers to those questions, I was discovering more about myself and more about God than I ever would have imagined discovering. I thought to him about him on many occasions. Every time he departed from our house and went back to his home in Florida, I would say something like this. I feel like I have been with Jesus for the last three weeks. I feel like the Lord has been speaking into my heart and probing my spirit. Why? Because here was a man who knew his assignment. He knew why he was there. And you and I need to ask our, ourselves, what is my assignment? My assignment, your assignment, just as his assignment, is to live in absolute surrender to the control of the Lord Jesus in our lives. Would people say that about you? If today people were gathered in an auditorium someplace and looking down the casket at your lifeless form, would anyone say of you, this man, this woman, is more like Jesus than anyone I ever met? They understood, he understood, she understood this assignment, and that is to live in the fullness, in total surrender to the work of the Holy Spirit in your life, to the Lordship of Christ in your life. That's our assignment. It doesn't make a difference what the storm is. We are to live in surrender to the Holy Spirit. That's our assignment. Now, what, what is our audience? Where, where is this audience? Now, notice what the scripture says again. It says, let your gentle spirit be known unto all men. Now, he's not saying here, uh, just make sure the folks at church know that you're a Christian and that you live in the fullness of the Holy Spirit. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, let everyone you come in contact with, let your gentle spirit, let the fact that you are not under self-control, you are under Christ's control, let that be known unto all men. This means, of course, the Lord's people, the folks with whom you fellowship in your church and to whom you are accountable, maybe many people in your, your family. Not, maybe not everybody's a Christian, but there are those who are perhaps, and, and they should know that you have the Holy Spirit living within you and, and you're to let your gentle spirit be known unto them, the Lord's, the Lord's people. The Bible says in uh, the book of Galatians that we are to, to do good, to, especially to those of the household of faith. We're to encourage them. And so your believing friends ought to know that you indeed are surrendered to the Lord. But the lost are also to know, not just the Lord's people, lost people. Where you shop, where, where you do business, where you work, in your neighborhood, People ought to know that you know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior. Do they? Do they really look at your life and say, you know what? That man is under the control of Christ. That lady has a Christ-controlled 
life. That's your audience. The world is your audience. Do they know that? This very morning, I was in uh, an early morning Bible study that has been conducted now for almost, well, soon it will be 38 years. A group of men, we began just a small group of men meeting in the upstairs of a, of a local bank. They came from all different walks of life. And, and that group has faithfully met now for many, many years. And, and uh, sometimes when I was living out of town, I couldn't be there. Sometimes I would just call one of the members of that group and we would, we would talk together because I felt like these men, these were the men who, as iron sharpens iron, would, would sharpen me, would hold me accountable. I love those men. But I remember years ago, uh, in one of our very early meetings, there were just a handful of us to start with. Now there's a room full, but there were just a handful of us to start with. And we were seated at a table, you know, one of those really nice, long banking uh, the tables that you see in a bank, you know, conference table. And uh, at one end of the table was the man who had started the group, a, a former deacon chairman in our church who after he stepped down said, now what do I do? And uh, this Bible study was born out of that, which continues to this day. I was seated at the other end of the table. There were just, as I said, a handful of men gathered around it. I heard a noise behind me and I turned to look because the elevator was behind me. And uh, I realized somebody is coming up on the elevator and pretty soon the doors of the elevator opened and all of us, you know, we just sort of fell silent there for a moment. And in the elevator, there was a man in a wheelchair. He rolled that wheelchair out of the elevator and rolled it over to where I was seated. And three of the men in the group knew him. They called him, actually, they called him by name. And the Bible study resumed, and about 15 or 20 minutes later when the study was over, I turned to him. He would be in our, uh, one of the two or three guys with whom I was going to pray because where he was, he was seated. His, and I said, Lester, that was his first name. I said, Lester, uh, how may I pray for you? And he one at a time pointed to those three different men. And here's what he said. I want what he has and what he has, and what he has. And I thought if I came here this morning, I might find out how to get it. What a wonderful testimony of the faithfulness of those men to leave the people with whom they came in contact with eternity in view. Here is a man who's drawn to overcome some obstacles I thought about this recently. I drove by that church and I noticed the parking lot was full and I discovered they were actually were people attending his funeral. He had passed away, but he passed away as a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, attracted to Jesus because of what he saw, what he heard in the lives of those men. This local businessman turned his heart to Christ. So what is our assignment? Our assignment is to live, no matter what the storm is, is to live in the fullness of the Holy Spirit. Where is our audience? It, it's among the Lord's people, but it's also among lost people. And sometimes it's in a storm that people are watching you more closely and more carefully and listening to you more clearly than they ever did before in their lives. 
So this, this brings us this morning as we study this scripture here. Let your gentle spirit be known. That, that is our assignment. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. That, that's our audience. But let's ask one final question. Who is our ally? I mean, we're going to need some help in this. So who is our ally? Well, the Apostle Paul rushes to answer that question for us. What does he say? The Lord is at hand. The Lord is near. Now, uh, there, there are a couple of ways you could, you could look at this. Um, and I think there's a sense in which either one of them is right, although I prefer one of them. Uh, we could be thinking here about the Lord's return. The Lord is at hand. That is his coming is at hand. And of course, we know that we have that by the word of the Lord, said Paul to the believers in Thessalonica. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain shall not precede those who have died. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with the voice of the archangel, the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall be raised together with those who are alive. So shall we ever be with the Lord, the apostle Paul says. So, so there is coming that time. And of course, we want to do what we ought to be doing and live like we ought to be doing, knowing that at any moment the Lord could, could return. And I, I pray that it would be just any moment now that the Lord would return. That's one possible uh, interpretation of this. The other way that you might interpret it, and the, the, the actual the words, the grammar supports this, and that is that the Lord is near. That is, um, the Lord is in the room, so to speak. He's not only returning, he is resident with you right now. He, he sees and he hears and he understands and he's willing to give you counsel and he's willing to stand with you. He's not over there judgmental. He, he is there with his gentle spirit. He's, he's come into the room to encourage you. He's, he's right there. As you walk through this, the Lord, the Lord's in the room. The Lord is at hand. When uh, I was in my early years of pastoring, I, uh, after graduating from college, attended seminary in Fort Worth, Texas, Southwestern Seminary. I was pastoring uh, a little church at the time that was over in Dallas, Texas. And uh, I, I signed up, I knew I, one of the courses I needed was a preaching course, and I had no idea that this would be one of the last courses taught by a professor named Jesse Northcutt. And I had no idea that after that, after he stepped aside from that, he would become vice president of the seminary and that he perhaps was one of the most noted trainers of preachers ever on the planet. Over 10,000 preachers have at one time or the other sat at his feet. And many others have read books that he has written. In fact, one of the most notable written by him and two other professors at Southwestern on Steps to the Sermon. And his whole focus was how to get into the Word of God and make sure that what you were saying when you preached was what God was saying in his Word. 
And this was an interesting kind of an arena in which he was teaching at that time. And I, I, I looked at that man. I, I never, I, I, there never was a time he did not exude Christ. And I was captivated by his, by his teaching. I, I kept thinking to myself, my gracious, this is, this is what this is about. And that is taking the word of God and making sure that, that I properly fed the flock of God, which was among us. Well, um, after I graduated from seminary, I went off to pastor in Oklahoma, another state, neighboring state. And um, the Lord in his, in his wonderful providence saw fit to uh, uh, just in the early years began blessing that church and continued. We, ultimately, we said we lived in revival for something like eight years. We, it was amazing what, what God was doing. But early in that time, about first of the year in 1973 it was, a long time ago, um, as our church began to grow, I began to read these books about... Uh, you know, how to grow a church and what you have to do and, and how you have to make sure that you're relevant to what uh, people's needs are. And, and, and I began, I, I'm going to confess to you, I began to see myself something as uh, God's PR man. And I thought, that's what I'm going to do as a pastor. And I'll be honest with you, my time in the Word of God, my time in sermon preparation, my time in seeking to share with people what actually the Word of God was sharing, um, I began to drift away from that. And I began to minimize that. And I was looking for ways to, in a popular and exciting way, occupy uh, the platform there and share with people. You, you, you get the picture. It's sinful. But, but you see the picture. And I was beginning, uh, uh, theologically, I wasn't too concerned, you know, and I wasn't too concerned about digging things out of the Scripture. I just wanted to make sure that everybody that came on Sunday morning was really excited about what they experienced. One Sunday night, just sort of wandering back and forth and wondering what my role as a pastor was, struggling with that storm in my in my heart. What do I do? I stepped up on the platform, opened my Bible, looked out into the auditorium, and there seated in the crowd was Dr. Jesse Northcutt. A flood of memories came over me. I began to reflect on what he had taught us. I began to reflect on the importance of spending time in the Word of God personally and making sure you were living out what you were preaching before you preached it. I began to reflect on all that he had taught us. And I looked down at the notes that I, that I had there and realized that I had just in a rather quick summary fashion, thrown them together, and I was standing up. And there, Dr. Northcutt was in the room. It made a difference in me. I determined that never, ever again. In fact, I, I, I thought about it this week. What a profound impact 
he made on me, not just as a professor, but having been taught by him to wake up and realize one day that he was in the, in the room. He wasn't there to criticize me. He wasn't there to complain about me. He was there in his own gentle way just to encourage me. And so I had an ally in the ministry. I, um, I made a fumbling attempt uh, sometime before he passed away to, to communicate with him how much he and how much that meant to me. I'm not sure that, that I did a very good job at that. But looking up, seeing him there, made a difference then and is making a difference even as I speak to you. He came as an ally. And dear friend, I don't know what you're going through. I have no idea what the storm of your life is all about. But I want to tell you this, if you'll just look up, your Lord is in the room. Not as a critic, not to complain, but to encourage you in the person and the work of the divine comforter, the Holy Spirit. He's there as your ally. So let your gentle spirit be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. Reflect on that.